Hi, I'm Stephen Crafty. I'm presenting Talking Design at RMIT University in Melbourne, and I'm here with Natasha Johns Messenger, an artist and really one of the most creative people I've come across in many years. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to be here. Now, I was very fortunate to interview you last a few years ago when you were working on a major exhibition for Heidi in Paul, the Heidi Museum in Berlin, and everyone was talking about it. Everyone was kind of saying, have you seen Natasha's show? It's extraordinary. Well oh, done on that show. Thank you. That's nice to hear. It was fabulous. And now you've, you're, you've done a lot of work since then, obviously, but um, people who haven't seen, didn't see that show will actually enjoy seeing the major piece of work at the Ian Potter uh, Gallery, uh, John Wardle's installation, that you worked very closely with him on that. Tell me about that. How would you describe, how did, that was part of the Venice Biennale in 2018, correct? Yeah, so basically John, in uh, when he, I think after he saw the Heidi show, um, he was reintroduced to my career and he'd known me for a long time. I actually met him um, in 2001 at the, when I did a piece at the Boiler, uh, Boiler House at the old Science Works Museum. Um, but John, um, I think was reintroduced to my work and he invited me to, um, uh, you know, put something forward for the the Biennale as a collaborator with him um, and another, uh, a couple of people, um, Coco and Max, the filmmakers. Um, and we basically, um, it was un under John that we put it all together and um, I uh, was very honoured and, you know, delighted to be, you know, asked to be a part of that project and it was an incredible experience all up. What's so lovely about it, you throw, you, you really introduce the spatial element in a, quite a different way. I mean, I just went to the NGV uh, to have a look at the exhibition yeah. and um, it was lovely seeing all these school children were lined up and they're all, you know, giggling and getting very excited. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them were bumping into walls that you deliberately had angled. So it was kind of um, throwing them off balance and they yeah. were just... You could see they were really excited. Well, the, the whole idea of the, you know, the placement of those mirrors is that they extend space rather than reflecting something. And so people aren't really used to seeing a mirror that's angled in such a way that they can't see themselves in until they approach the mirror in a certain way. So it, it, it basically it offers up an illusion. And so when that happens, people are a little bit um, put off by, in a, in not in a bad way, but in a good way, put off by that space between what they think they know and then what they're, what they're perceiving because it's doesn't seem like it's possible that you can see through the wall via these um, periscopic setups. Um, so they're especially little kids. I mean, I, I hope to bring out the the child in an adult in that situation as well because you know they might walk in and have the same um, reaction, but yeah. don't necessarily act in the same way as a kid might. Now it's uh, predominantly timber. Yep. Of timber, there's steel and glass, and yep. John's work is very timber based. I mean, he loves timber. Yeah. Um, it I mentioned to you before we sat down. It reminds me of a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> and you said, "Oh, that's new. I've heard." Some yeah, I hadn't heard that, but, but that does it does resonate. How do you how do you start the process working with John? Was did he present well, some ideas? And... It was me coming into his studios and his to his practice, and I was just a part of a team in a, in a lot of ways. And um, so there's a lot of um, and it was really nice for me because being an artist who often works, especially on the process of making work in my studio by myself with my ideas, it was a nice change to be involved in a team effort. 
um, on a project. So um, coming in to see John and uh, working with um, the team, it was like um, uh, we would all sit around and listen and some people would throw ideas this way and that way. The ultimate idea was John's and then it was more about um, how do we um, take all the different component parts and the pieces that we were contributing um, our specialties to. Like uh, my specialty was going to be um, making the portal in the cent in the sort of central area so that you it felt like you could see through um, the sculptural object to the other side and beyond as if it was um, uh, creating that portal. Um, and also, uh, but then there were also questions about the materiality, the questions about um, the structure, how the form works, how it's going to sit inside the arsenale generally, like how um, it works as an object and how it works as um, what I liked, um, the way that John described it, as an instrument. It's like an instrument for looking in a way or an mm. instrument for thought about architecture. But it's also very much, it's kind of capturing his voice in architecture as well. Oh, very much so, Because yeah. he's often, you know, it's that crafted, it's angular. His houses are very detailed. Very detailed and um, a beautiful relationship to materiality that he has um, that I've found very um, um, honoured to be, like, very close to, especially the um, the Jacaranda, the group who actually helped build the, the piece, um, um, you know, they've got fantastic craftspeople who, you know, work with wood all the time and um, it was it, it, it was just like a process of, um, um, first of all, the biggest, the biggest thing was what is this thing that we're building because it's sort of like is it a display for an architectural... Um, competition? Com- well, mm-hmm. not necessarily mm-hmm. competition. No, it's more um, you're displaying your architectural practice but you're not doing it with a building that is essentially functional because it's not a functional space that you go into. And then and then, um, I was recalling um, Richard Serra who, who says, um, in his opinion, you know, architecture and art are very different because one has a functionality um, that's, I mean, I'm talking about a rudimentary yeah. functionality and the other one doesn't. So, and then I was thinking about this piece in that it doesn't um, function like a, um, a building that you would like to sit in and have a cup of coffee in. Um, it more disrupts space than creates a space that you can inhabit comfortably. Um, so there's an interesting distinction between the functionality and then the counteraction of functionality that this piece then becomes more like a sculpture rather than or or a a piece that operates in terms of, um, you know, uh, displaying lots of the different conceptual and material, um, you know, abilities of architecture but not within an object that is a a functional building. Um, Natasha, I don't think people realise but we can actually, RMIT can claim you partly Mm as as ours because you studied uh, fine art here yeah uh, a few years ago many years ago and then you went on to do a uh, you got a masters yeah and then you went on to do a masters in film at mm-hmm. Columbia University in New York mm-hmm. and you were saying you've always wanted to be into film yeah both do- I wanted to do both I mean I don't think um I think if you've got a kind of a, a creative bent in your life it doesn't have to be you know, one or the st- other. stuck on one kind of medium, although that can um, create lots of, um, you know, dilemmas about which way to to place yourself sometimes. But for me, I always wanted to do film from a very young age and I thought I would love to be a film director, that would be great. And then um, when I got to the age where I was going 
to university. Um, uh, there was there wasn't um, there was only the AFTRS was around, but that was in Sydney, and it wasn't the thing that you went off to go to 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 study at another in another state back then. So um, and I didn't really want to go to Swinburne. I didn't feel very glamorous, so I thought art school felt a lot more you know, like me, and it was still very creative, so I always thought I wanted to do it later, and that's why and that's I why studied studied it later. And then you got a green card and you went to New York. That's right. <laughs> and um, so film something that you'd still, you'd still entertain. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I spent five years of my life at Columbia doing that Masters, so it was two contact years and then three years of research. Um, and for me it was about not so much, um, you know, coming out with the first feature, you know, off the bat, but coming out with the knowledge that and the um, the skills in which to 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 be able to do that at a later date when you know the material presents itself and when the opportunity presents itself because as as you know with film it's um it's, it's a, a it's a long it's a very big commitment it's a and it's a and it's a long road in terms of when you decide to make the film and when you um, put all you have to go all in for a quite a few years um, which I plan to do but Not at um, this stage. well. You know that the, the script is there, the the contacts are being made, little seeds are being planted. Let's just say, and um, more importantly, in my mind's eye, it's it's done in some um, aspect in the future. Uh, I'll keep mm. an, uh, maybe next time we get to chat. Yeah. So you went. In, you've been in New York. You've spent a long time, quite a long time in New mm. York, um, and you you did quite a major installation. Mm-hmm. Uh, working with FX Fowl yep. Architects, a major practice in New York. Which Yeah, it seems to be a recurring theme to work with architects for me. What is it about architects? Well, it's simply the fact that um, as an installation artist, when I do um, like an exhibition in a museum, um, it's 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 a kind of an ephemeral a- activity because it, it might be up, say, for example, the Heidi show, which was very anchored in the space of Heidi. Um, it's there for a few months and then it is, um, it's gone, you know, because it's so anchored in the site that it can't be um, re remade again with the same, you know, fenestration, mm. the same views, the same um, no, movement. That's very site-specific. Yes. So for me, working with architects is a way of creating... Um, opportunities where the work can live on in its best way inside site um as a piece that doesn't doesn't die off in the in in well, not as not as quickly at least <laughs> as a museum piece might when you're working with an architect to say you know you're working on a project at the moment with a leading architect mm-hmm. uh how do you kind of start that process do you look at the site and something kind of really Draws you in, or do you look at the actual architecture itself? What? How do you start that process, and how close does the architect mm. get involved in the process? Because it's interesting because um, there's always a fine line, and it comes down to I think um, you know different different architects have different personalities as well as I have my own personality. So that's how we sort of edge in, edge in slowly. I like to edge in very slowly and see where. Um, that we we want to come together. Ideally, you want to come together where the piece itself is more important than um, the people. sum of it, the sum of its parts in a way. And if if you've both got at that as the core idea, then you're going to be fine no matter what happens because you're just always steering yourself towards the best um, outcome. Um, and for me, that could be concentrating on the site itself, um, uh, or it could be concentrating on the architect 
picture that already exists that's already a signature of somebody else's. Like I can respond to signatures in other people's architecture as well as a kind of a part of the subject matter of the site that I'm responding to. I mean, architects are interesting. They, you know, created this something they're really proud of. Mm. And your work is very strong. Mm. Um, does it occasionally happen where an architect kind of almost the sculpture is stronger than the piece of architecture? Um, and that you and they kind of, or you try and I, I create think, a balance. No, the I, two. I would always try to. Um, well, as a general idea, kind of go in with a sort of a, an idea of harmonising a space or res, um, respecting a space, rather than um, making a statement on a space. It's almost like um, I always err on the side of simplicity rather than. Um, comp- complexity not not in terms of conceptually but in terms of um structurally speaking um you know sort of stepping back you know maybe even the idea of i mean one of my favorite artists gordon matter clark he removed things as opposed to adding something it's like a different um so it's not about um necessarily making a statement or a signature it's more about um uh creating a space um, for something to happen. Like, for example, in Alterview, the piece with FX Fowl, it was about opening a fence to make a view that wasn't there before. This was the Even though orange. This is the orange, the large tinted orange window. As um, And um, in some ways I thought, oh, well, wh- where am I in this? Because it's very, very simple. You know, it's, it's essentially a window with an ellipse. Um, and sometimes, um, you know, it can seem uh, on the outside, it, it can seem um, easier to do something simple, but sometimes it's just harder to do something simple because you've got to, um, you know, state the case that the, simpl- the most simplistic, um, you know, response to the um, project is the one you've got to push because people often like more. It's like going into, you know, uh, you know the Muji store and it's great because everything's very plain in there as opposed to, you know, uh, a space with lots of, lots of, you know, um, um, flowers printed on the, the sheets, you know. It's like sometimes it's harder to find the most simple, um, elegant um, answers uh, or sheets, you know, and that's what you want. For me, that's that's how, how I... How do you... Um, Natasha, how do you start the process? Is it through maquettes? You know, um, is it sketching out, modelling? Well, sometimes, work? sometimes it's a little thought that pops into my brain at four in the morning and then I have to, you know, get up and write a little note in my iPhone. Or sometimes it's a sketch or sometimes it's um, a... Um, uh, a clear image, and other times I work with visualizers to help me, you know, um, come up with ideas. Um, or I, I, I have made models before as well. So there's a whole lot of different ways that um, that the creative process can come to fruition. But you've also done um, quite a major piece at Monash University, the Water Orb. Mm-hmm. Tell me about that. Uh, well, that was that was a really fun project actually, because, and it was a bit challenging as well. I've got to say because. Um, um, Charlotte Day, who's um, the head of Mama, um, um, she after the Heidi show, she invited me to be part of the Ian Potter Sculptural Court, no, Forecourt Commission for the Ian Potter um, Cultural Fund, and um, I was absolutely thrilled because first of all, it was something I didn't have to apply for; it's something you invited. It's a really nice feeling, and you get to say, "Okay, I'm going to make a sculpture. It's going to be here." But then I had a lot of um, 
freedom. Um, you had a lot of freedom. No, a lot of freedom. Well, of course, the freedom is one thing with an outdoor sculpture, but then there's a lot of restrictions too because it has to deal with the elements. And that was the biggest um, leap for me because I'm very comfortable indoors and then having to create something that has to deal with the elements um, uh, meant that the um, the parameters and all of the restrictions were very um, – had to be – it sometimes can stifle your creativity when you're trying to work out an idea. You've got to try to push through the um, the barriers, which are oh, this has to be teenage boy proof, you know, t- or teenage girl proof for that matter. Um, you know, there th- th- has to be um, a- an object that can withstand, um, you know, r- weather. R- the weather also and just- also. Being, be, being vulnerable in the outdoor world. People, um, people can graffiti, people can People attack, can do, exactly. You know. So um, I, I had a few, it took me a long time to actually come up with a piece um, and in the end I came up with this orb that was much like, um, because I knew that it was going to be um, in a context that it might be moved because it was initially in at Mama Caulfield and it's now at Mama Clayton. Um, normally, as I said, I anchor my work in the site, so I couldn't quite do that. So it had to act more like an autonomous object. And um, for me, because a lot of my work is about looking and seeing, it became like an eye almost. Um, that's how it kind of became this oculus kind of form. It's about looking. And then um, I thought wouldn't it be nice to do uh, an inverted fountain. So it's kind of an inverted fountain. It, it still involves a lot of the optics that I use, but when you're looking inside, it looks like the water is falling away from you down into the centre of this um, strange orb. Natasha, <laughs> um, how do you kind of arrange your time? Um, you know, do you work on – are you kind of booked up for months and you kind of don't want to see anything at the moment or do you kind of – Still have to go for grants and... Oh, yeah, no, I absolutely have to go for, you know, I mean, at the moment there's a lot of... um, I'm really interested in public works at the moment and that's what I'm concentrating on, not just developing um, ideas but also applying for and putting myself forward for ideas and that's in the US and here. And, I'm, you know, there's always a a section of your um, time that's taken up with this kind of administrative side where you're planting seeds for the next things to happen. And at the same time, I'm doing lots of reading at the moment, especially in relationship to um, uh, consciousness and form and how form, you know, is um, comes out of us and other creatures. I'm reading this fantastic book um, by this philosopher called Daniel Dennett, who's um, uh, quite an amazing... Um, it's a it's basically an amazing insight into what consciousness is and a lot of my work is about perception and you know visual perception and consciousness but then I'm just digging a little bit deeper so there's a lot of things I can do in the studio um Natasha what's the difference in terms of being an artist in Melbourne where mm. you share your time and in New York people you know there's 400,000 odd creatives in New York <laughs> um that's the figure I was given by yeah. a few creatives yeah how how you know what's what's it like? Just well, so it's, it's hard for me to say what the difference is in one way because I was born in Melbourne, so I have a base here. I have a community here. I I went to art school here. I have connections here that go back further and deeper than I had in New York. So I always felt like I was kind of floating on the surface in a lot of ways. In New York. As yeah, as well as the fact that um, there's not um, as many um, you know opportunities, or there are, but there's 
a lot more people going for those same opportunities just simply because of a population difference. But I felt like I, I, um, I had a very good run in New York. I had a lot of opportunities come my way and um, I had a lot of great connections, which I still have, and I'm excited about doing more work in New York and especially, um, you know, doing pieces for the Public Art Fund and for, you know, Percent for Art in New York and kind of those commissions that were lucrative as well as fun to do. I mean, you just want more of those. So how different is it? There's no difference in the approach once you kind of get get the exhibition or the, or the gig, mm-hmm. um, but the general feeling is that... Um, in Melbourne, it feels, yeah, as I said, the baseline is different because I'm from here. More connections. Yeah. What's the feeling like when you get that gig? Something you really want more yeah. than anything else. And you get that phone call. And I know you've had it several times. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, a that's show, funny. It's funny you what, ask. How do you react? What's the feeling? Um, well, this is interesting because um, there's never... There's never a point where people are, you know, bashing down the door. You know, that doesn't, you know, you think that that's going to happen at some point, you know, when you're a young artist, you think, okay, one day they're just going to be banging on my door. That doesn't happen. You've got to be active the whole time and you've got to keep, you know, making things happen. But when you do get someone knocking on your door, it's like um, it's just a, a really nice little sigh of, oh, that was really lovely. Um, I wish that would happen more often and, Hopefully it will start to, but you just you it's just a bit of a um it's a very nice moment, but you can't ever rest too long. Yes. Well look, Natasha, thank you so much for coming on the program. Um I'm I will follow your career very closely. Thank you, Steve. I have been. I, I still remember when I interviewed you when you were just starting and you were in a little studio and you just had this determination that I just thought was extraordinary. Oh, thank you, Stephen. And well. obviously there's talent there, but it was that discipline, mm. really. So well done on thank all you your very achievements. Much. And you've been listening to Stephen Crafty interviewing Natasha Johns Messenger, talking design. Thanks so much for listening.